about 20 years ago, a Gallup poll revealed that 84% of the United States firmly believed in Jesus Christ. 20 years ago, 84%. And in a separate poll, 94% believed in God. But polls have also shown that 80% approve involuntary prayer in school. How many of y'all believe in that? That's right, every hand, amen? It also showed that 81% of the nation opposes homosexual behavior. That same poll also said that 89% opposes the use of abortion as a convenient means of birth control. Now we could go on and on, but you can't escape the conclusion. And the conclusion is this. Although you and I have been led to believe that we, the 94% that believe in God, are the minority, we definitely are not. Amen? But sometimes you watch the news. You watch the state of uh, affairs in the United States, and you feel like a stinking minority. Well, I want to encourage you this morning that you're not. You're not in the minority. You are in the majority so therefore, with that being said, as Edmund Burke said, all that's necessary for evil to win, all that's necessary for evil to triumph is for godly men and women to do nothing. If you want evil to win, all you got to do is nothing. The hour is late. But if all of God's people would just stand up, if they just speak out, then this tide can still be turned around and America's spiritual suicide can be avoided. In the Old Testament, the Lord appeared to King Solomon, King Solomon of Israel one night, and, and he told him this. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence, what is pestilence? Disease, virus. Y'all with me? Or send pestilence among my people. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened, and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Now, although this verse, this passage, was originally spoken to the nation of Israel... Christians, Bethel Baptist Church, can apply these words, and here's the reason why. 
We can apply the requirements, the rewards, and the results of this passage because of what Galatians 3.29 tells us. Galatians 3.29 tells us that if we are Christ's, if we belong to Jesus, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen? So if you're born again, if you're a child of God, you're the same as God's chosen person in his eyes and heirs according to the promise. So right off the bat, I want you to notice to whom this passage was written. God addresses my people who are called by my name. That's me and that's you today, okay? God is speaking to his people. He's speaking to people who have identified him, themselves with him and identified themselves with his work, amen, serving him. He's speaking to people that you and I would call saved. Friends, listen, if God blesses America, it won't be because of the United States of America. If God blesses America, it's going to be for the sake of his people. Amen? Not for the sake of the nation itself. But if we who are called by God's name are not fulfilling the requirements of the godly blessings, then there's no hope whatsoever for the rest of them. Amen? If we don't do what we're supposed to do, man, the rest of them have got it bad. On the other hand, if you and I are obedient to the commands of the Lord. If we are obedient, then the whole nation is going to benefit from what you and I do and how you and I live. So what I'm saying to you this morning is this. Are you listening? Say amen. amen. The buck stops here. The buck stops here. Say that with me nice and loud. The buck if you don't leave with anything else today, I want you to leave with the fact that the buck stops here. There, amen? The buck stops here. God had warned Israel that if they continued in their disobedience to his word and to his commands, that it would bring dire consequences. And so he set forth some conditions that were necessary to reverse the judgment and to bring revival to his Nation, like many churches, I believe that Bethel Baptist Church is in need of revival. You know, it's nothing like some persecution, some difficulties, some challenges, some tragedies, some pestilence to get our attention about how much we need God. So today, I want to share with you how you and I might become ripe for revival. How can we become ripe for revival? Now, this is not going to be some recipe or, or, or checklist that you can give for revival because only God can bring it. Amen? Only God can bring revival. But these will be stepping stones. These will be conditions that are set forth that when met God's way, will set the stage for long and lasting revival right here at Bethel Baptist Church. Friends, we need revival. We all need revival. So let's look at how we might become ripe. The first way is this way. 
We need to know that real revival demands real requirements. Before revival can become a reality, the people of God must meet four conditions mentioned in this verse. Now, again, meeting these conditions does not guarantee that revival will happen, but it does create an atmosphere, not only in the church, but an atmosphere in your life whereby it's possible to have revival and far more likely. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. All right, you said it. Here it comes. The first thing that we need to do, first condition, is there needs to be a heed to the call for preparation. The call for preparation. Real, real revival requires that you and I clothe ourselves in humility. This word, humble, has with it the idea of being under another. Being under another. When you and I humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty, we are acknowledging that He is Lord and I am not. Right? We are acknowledging His Lordship and also acknowledging His control over every part of my life. Those who are willing to humble themselves this way before the Lord are acknowledging His Lordship and control. When you do that, then the hand of God will be open to blessings on your life, will be also open to set the stage to receive God's blessings and have personal Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And then it was his disciple Peter who wrote, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Please note here, friend, that our humility... It's supposed to be voluntary. You're supposed to be humble on your own accord. And if you're not, can I tell you that God will do it for you? Amen? Anybody been humbled by God in their lifetime? I don't know about you, but I didn't find it to be too pleasant. Amen? So let us voluntarily be clothed with humility. Let us voluntarily humble ourselves to this call of preparation. But there's also the call to prayer. That word prayer means just what it says. We're called to pray. We're called to communicate with our Father in heaven. A praying person sees that prayer is humility in action. It's the act of humbling oneself before the Master God Almighty in humility. He sees his own inability and sees that God has great ability. Amen? So note, note, friend, that we're to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing for revival personally, pray without ceasing for revival at church, pray without ceasing for revival in our nation, pray in your home, pray in your car, pray at your job, pray at your private place, pray at this altar. This is the most unused place in the nation is this altar. You say, well, I don't need to come to that altar. I can pray at my house. You sure can. But when you humble yourselves, when you uh, agree to this call of preparation and this call to prayer, what did James say? You have not because you ask not. 
When was the last time you asked God for personal revival? For church-wide revival? For revival in our nation? When was the last time? Now, friend, we could go on all day about this issue of prayer, but let's realize that you just really can't substitute praying for obedience. I think we're in the habit of talking about prayer a whole lot. Maybe we should just do it, amen? So that's, my, that's what I want to leave with you on that, is just do it. Just do it. Do it at home. Do it in your private place. And by all means, do it at this altar. It's just a place, but it's a place of humility. So God's issued a call to prepare, and he's issued a call to pray. But he's also issued us a call to passion. This third requirement, uh, the Bible said, is seeking my face. Seeking his face. That word means to desire something. To desire something. It speaks of devotion. It speaks of yearning. This idea is making God the number one priority in your life. And you may say that he is, but are you living like he is? The idea is not only is God the number one priority, but he is also the number one desire of your heart. There is nothing in life that's more important than my God. There is nothing more precious than God Almighty above. There is no more, nothing more needful than God in my life. The great Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius said this. He said, the true measure of a man, the true measure of a man is measured by the object he pursues. True worth of a man is measured by the object he pursues. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What has your attention this morning? What has your attention this morning? Whatever that is, that's your priority. Whatever it is, that's your priority. That is, in effect, your God. Right? And you remember what God delivered to Moses. He said, uh, you should have no other gods before me. Yet sometimes we come on Sunday mornings with all manner of distractions and challenges. What has your attention this morning? Let us declare that our love for God will drive us to pursue Him and desire Him with every fiber in our being. That's what part of the problem is, y'all. We only worship and desire Him with this small portion of our lives. And we want to take care of all the rest ourselves. One problem with churches today is, is that we've ceased to desire God all day long. We've ceased to desire God. We've ceased to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. We pursue so many things in life, and our devotion times are so infrequent, they're so irregular, that we come to the conclusion that we have no place for first place. Amen? We have no place for what should be first place. I say, may that attitude die the death that's been long deserving. Amen? So are you prepared? 
Friend, are you prayed up? Are you passionate? Well, there's even more. There's also a call to purity. That phrase, turn from their wicked ways, it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't have to get into it, but turning away from something is what? Say it loud if you know it. Repentance. And repentance is the only way to purity. God knows you can't be sinless, but he certainly knows that you can sin less. Amen? He knows that we can repent. So let us examine our own lives. Let's examine the man in the mirror. Let's examine the woman in the mirror. And let us identify anything that might displease God. And whatever doesn't line up with his book, turn away from it. Eliminate it. Period. That's repentance. That's turning away from our wicked ways. But we don't like that word very much, do we? We don't like that word repentance very much because that means I got to stop doing what I want to do. That means I got to stop doing what this flesh craves. That means that I got to submit to someone else's rule. I got to submit to someone else's authority. They make us feel like we're making mistakes. And that hurts my ego. That hurts my pride when I got to stop doing what I want to do. But listen, before revival can come to a people, the people have got to come clean. Got to turn away from their sin. So the first steps to getting right with God are the requirements. Be prepared. Be prayed up. Be passionate. And be pure. Now for some good news. Amen. Everybody ready for some good news now? Here we go. Some good news is that real revival provides real rewards. I like rewards. Anybody else? I like rewards. Here we go. If we'll meet the requirements and create this atmosphere in which we can experience some tremendous spiritual rewards, great things can happen. Now you might say, okay, you got me intrigued, Brother Bill. Tell me more about these rewards. What rewards? And to that I say, I'm glad you asked. Amen. Here come your rewards. The first reward is that God will hear us. Now last week, we talked about the fact that God's word says that sin hinders prayer. If you're living a sinful life, God ain't hearing your prayers. Amen? We learned that. But when we turn our backs on sin, when we turn away from doing things our way and to do them God's way, then our prayer flows unhindered both to and from the great throne of God. Friend, listen, there is no more powerful force in the world than unhindered prayer. If God could hear our prayers, if God could hear our hearts as we pray, why is it so powerful? Because we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are submitting to the will, to the power, and to the desire of God, the authority of God in our lives. Friend, listen, God hearing us is a real reward. But there's a second reward, and that is God will help us. God also promises to forgive our sins. We all got the same problem. We all still living in fleshly bodies. We're all still living amongst sinful people in a sinful country, in a sinful world. We still all got the same battle with sin, amen? 
But God promises to forgive us our sins. He says, if you'll confess your sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means that not only is the prayer line restored, but also it means that we can return to a very close fellowship with God. That's what sin does. It not only breaks the prayer line, it breaks the fellowship with God. So nothing compares, friend, to a close, personal walk with God. Just ask Enoch of the Bible. Ask Noah of the Bible. Ask Elijah of the Bible. Ask the Apostle Paul of the Bible. Nothing compares with having that kind of relationship with God. There is no greater reward. The ability to come into the presence of God, to worship Him, to sense His mighty presence, His power, His peace, His joy. His presence is priceless, y'all. It's a great, great reward. But there's more. There is yet a third reward that this verse tells us about, and that is God will heal us. Now, God promised Israel. He warned them. He said, your sins are going to cause a drought. If you keep sinning, there'll be no rain in the land. There'll be a drought. And he said that it would devastate the land. It would devastate the entire population of the nation. So the Lord promised this. He said, repentance equals rain. Turning away from your sins equals the heavens being opened up and watering your land. If they will honor him, then he will honor them. If they will open their hearts, then God will in turn open the heavens. So in a very real sense this morning, you and I are in the same situation. Our homes, our communities, our nations have been devastated through a drought. A drought of spiritual blessing, a drought of spiritual power. And we need for the heavens to open up on our lives. If God's people will come back to him with genuine, genuine repentance, as God commanded in Acts 17.30. He commanded repentance. He commanded it and come back to him in genuine faith. Then we'll see that our nation can be impacted for the glory of God and by the glory of God. And it can begin right here within the walls of this building. So real revival provides some real rewards. But there's one last point I want to share with you today. And that is that real revival also yields real results, right? Lasting results. Notice both the conditions and the promises. Notice that the requirements and the rewards are given, here we go, to God's people. To God's people. When we experience revival and spiritual change in our individual hearts, then we will experience revival and spiritual change in the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ experiences spiritual change and revival, that will result in a, a revival and spiritual change in our homes, Revival in a spiritual change in our communities, in our schools, amongst our neighbors, in our nation, in the world, all over the glory of God. But the buck stops here. The buck stops here. The buck stops here. 
I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of hearing what sin can do in the life of a person. I'm sick and tired of seeing and hearing what sin can do in the life of a Christian. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of what it can do in our homes, in our churches, and in our nation. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of what I see in my news feed all the time. I'm tired of seeing what sin can do. I want to see what the power of God can do by God's people turning away from sin and acknowledging his presence. Oh, if we would just get a real vision. Just get an idea, y'all, of what God could do for you and what God could do through you if you would just acknowledge these requirements and receive these rewards. Sir, ma'am, if real revival were to come into your life, you would never be the same. You would never be the same. It would change you. It would change everybody you know. It would change everybody around you for the glory of God. So it's a real possibility. Revival's real. It's not some pipe dream that Brother Bill's thought up this week. It's a real possibility. It's always up to God as far as when it's going to come and if it's going to come. But you and I can be ripe for revival. We can be ripe for revival. But it always begins with the man in the mirror. It always begins with the woman that you see daily in the mirror. Now the key word for your sermon today is this. The key word is if. If my people called by my name would humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear, help, and heal their land. So if the key word is if, if we will do our part, then God will be sure to do his part. If. And so if you walk, you walk out of this building today, unchanged, you're still thinking the same way that you walked in, that word if has had no impact on your life, then you're part of the problem. If I walk out of here and I don't allow the word of God to change me, to change my marriage, to change my family, to change our church and our community and this nation, then I might as well have just slept in today. If. If we will do our part, God will be sure to do his part. So friend, are you willing to consider a few questions this morning before we leave? First question. Are you one of God's people? If you're not, that's okay right now because we're going to offer you an opportunity to become one. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a God's people, <laughs> if you're not one of God's peeps, amen, you can be. You don't have to live another day not being one of God's people. God Almighty sent his son to die 
in your place for your sins to give you forgiveness and provide you with eternal life. He did that for you. All you must do is admit that you're a sinner, confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life, right, and believe that God raised him from the, the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. Christian, question number two. Christian, are you willing to pay the price? Because everything I've talked about this morning, it sounds real simple and all, but it ain't easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Are you willing to pay the price? If you're not willing to pay the price, you might as well just go ahead and, and leave here unaffected, unchanged, because you've ignored the word if. Are you willing to come to God? Humble yourself before God? Are you willing to pray with active communication with God to seek His face? Have you ever just been down on your knees and just seek His face? And then when you got up off your knees, you just had no, nothing else to do but turn away from your sin, turn away from that old Bill Barlow life? Are you willing to do that today? Last question. Are you willing to be and to do whatever it takes? It's three huge words. Are you willing to be and to do whatever it takes to see real revival come into your life? To see real revival come into your church? To see real revival come into your marriage? To see real revival, friends? Come in to our community, to our family, and to our nation. Three powerful questions that demand an answer from you today. They demand an answer from you today. So friend, if the Lord has spoken to you today about your need for personal revival... If the Lord has spoken to you this morning about your need for revival in our church, for revival in our nation, then please come before Him. Please come before Him in this unused space we call the altar. Bring your prayer burden to Him. Seek His face. Be willing to turn from your own way of life. And let's get about the business, friend, of meeting the requirements Get about the business of reaping the rewards and get about the business of seeing the results of God on a people who said, I will to the question if. Let's get ripe for revival. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, this decision time is all about you. It's about what you've spoken to King Solomon about so many thousand years ago that is so relevant in our lives today. 